Well, good morning, Chapel family. Great to see you all today. So looking forward to celebrating the resurrection of Christ with all of you next week. And I I am just going to take a minute just to say a couple of kind of uh, housekeeping things, three services instead of two next week, so that's a change, and, they're, and we're not just adding one on to the other times, all the times are shifting. So just make sure you realize 8.45 is going to be the first one, 10 o'clock, and then 11.15. All of them will be identical in, cer- in worship and music style. So don't choose your service based on a certain style you want, they're all going to be the same. So just, just know that. Um, adding this third service is for Easter only, for now. All right, so uh, we may in the future, it looks like with the growth that God is blessing us with, we'll probably need to add a third service or do something in the near future. But for now, the third service is only for Easter. So the week after Easter, it's going to be back to these two service times that we have now. All right. And then one other thing I want to say, we're expecting the biggest crowds at 10 o'clock next week. That seems to be a nice time for a lot of people. And so if you are a regular, if this is your home, if you're a regular chapel person, I have a special request for you to just consider, would you consider not going to that one? Um, going to either the 845 or the 1115. And the reason is just to leave as many seats as possible for guests at, at that 10 o'clock uh, hour. So um, just think about that. Uh, it might be a nice thing to do for other people who don't usually come to church and they'll get to have a seat at the service they really want to come to. But it's just going to be a great week. Um, so look forward to um, just celebrating and just pray through this week that, um, that God will work in great ways. Um, this, this life is tough. The world is tough. And God is moving and, and drawing people and offering an alternative to what this world offers. Um, and a lot of that, for some people, could culminate on Easter Sunday. So we've been taking a few months to walk through the book of Revelation. And I've mentioned earlier that we've probably had more feedback from, from you all on this series than we've had in, in most other series than we've done. And I just wanted to just to read you a quick excerpt. We've gotten a lot of uh, emails and, and had a lot of conversations. An email I received from a young woman last week, uh, she said, Revelation has always been an intimidating book for me to read, but I've gotten so much out of this series, so thank you. I would say, this is my favorite part, I would say it has really spurred me on and leaves me wanting to know more about the Lord. Um, that I love hearing that. And that's kind of typical of, of, of what we've been hearing. It's been, um, it's been a little surprising to me. And so thank you for everyone who's given feedback. I want to say a special thanks to all of our small group leaders, our student ministry leaders, because they've taken what's um, in the sermons and they've really helped people on a smaller level to understand it and live it out. So it's just been a great team effort. Um, God is, is really doing things in people's lives recently at the chapel, and it's just, it's just really exciting to be, to be part of that. So I am grateful. So Revelation is a letter, right? It's written by John, one of the disciples, John the Apostle. Um, he, it was addressed to a group of churches in the first century. He wrote in about 95 AD. Um, if I had to summarize the message of the book of Revelation in just a, a succinct way, I would say something like this. This world is getting darker. Opposition to Christ and his church is getting stronger. But, everybody, God is in control. And in the end, church... God wins. So stand firm in your faith. Um, 
you, those words are going to haunt you. You are never going to forget those words because we've said them so many times week after week, and that's a pretty good thing to allow to haunt you. So that was the message that the church in 95 AD needed to hear. It's exactly the same message that, that we need to hear today. So today we come to the very end, last two chapters of Revelation 21 and 22, and it's all about heaven. Um, what comes into your mind when you think about heaven? You know, there's a... Uh, popular NBC comedy series called The Good Place. Anybody seen The Good Place? Ted Danson and Kristen Bell and others. And it's about, it's about heaven or what people think is heaven. And uh, early in the series, the residents of this place that is heaven or they think is heaven um, realize that there's a problem. And so one of them says this, quote, you get here and you realize that anything is possible and you do everything, and then you're done, but you still have an infinity left. This place kills fun and passion and excitement and love, end of quote. And so in the final season, they realize there's actually an escape door. And so when heaven becomes unbearably boring, you can walk out that door, and they don't know what's on the other side, but at least it's not as boring as what they're experiencing in heaven. Some of you feel very offended. Someone would even think that. Right? But that's a concept that has crossed the minds of a lot of people. Eternity is a long time. What will we do? How will we not get bored? What, what will it be like? That's what we're going to talk about today. Because if you want to continue to stand firm in this world that continues to get darker, you need a compelling, clear vision of what God has in your future. So let's read the text together, the scripture. We're going to be in Revelation 21, starting in verse 1. So I invite all of us now to hear the word of God. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. Now go to chapter 22, verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb down the middle of the street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Go to verse 16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And the one who hears says, come. 
Let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. And then verse 20, he who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. And these are the last words in the Holy Scriptures. So based on Revelation 21 and 22, what I'd like to do this morning is to kind of build a vision of heaven together. I'm going to kind of build it piece by piece. So here's the first piece. Heaven is a real physical place. Heaven is a real physical place. I don't know if I'm the only one, but for some reason, my earliest memories of picturing heaven come from Tom and Jerry cartoons. <laughs> anyone else, do you remember the scenes? Tom the cat dies and, you know, I guess he's, you know, he floats up to heaven. So you see Tom sitting on everyone, a cloud playing a harp, right? So in my little kid mind, I'm like, all right, I guess that's what I have ahead of me. Even if you've never seen Tom and Jerry, many people think about heaven in this way. It's sort of this ethereal, light, airy, wispy, I'm trying to act it out here, this like, with like soft music playing and harps and, and like that, that's, that's the view in our mind. But the main thing is you leave this world and you go to this cloudy place. And in one sense, in one way, that is sort of what happens to believers who die now. I'm not saying harps and, and clouds, but the Bible does teach that when a believer dies now, the immaterial part of us, our spirit or our soul, goes immediately into the presence of God, right? Absence from this physical body, the Bible says, is presence with the Lord. So in one sense, we do kind of leave this earth and, and go to this other place, but that's just temporary. That's just like a, when you have a connecting flight and you have a layover for a while in some city, that's just like a temporary thing like that before we get to our final destination. Because when Jesus comes back and wraps this whole thing up, heaven will not be this place up here in, in the clouds. Look at Revelation 21.1. It says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Remember all the way back, we're at the end of the Bible. Remember the very beginning? What's the first verse in the Bible? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And when it says heavens, that, that's talking about the sky. That's talking about like space. So way back in the past, God created the sky and the earth. And it was good until it got messed up, right? And so sin entered and infected the system. And so now it says, for example, in Romans chapter 8, all of creation is groaning under the bondage of decay. Do you, when you look out at this world, do you see any signs of the, of the decay of this world? Yeah. Man, you see, you see it in, in rivers that have been polluted. You see it in you know, oceans that have got plastic piled up in it. You see it in natural disasters that seem to be accelerating. You see it in climate change, melting polar ice caps. So many different things are decaying. But there is a day coming, Romans 8 goes on to say, when all creation, listen, will be liberated, freed from its bondage to decay. And that's the moment that Revelation is talking about. It says one day there's actually going to be a new heaven and a new earth, new sky and new earth. In other words, God's original creation will be redeemed and restored to the way it was always meant to be. Is, to me, that's just an awesome thought because I love this world. I love this creation to think that it's going to get restored and put right. 
Oh, that's where we get to spend eternity, not on a cloud playing a harp, thank God. Right? I mean, I like some good harp music, but please. Look at the next verse, Revelation 21.2. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming, where does it say? Down out of heaven from God. See, ultimately in eternity, we don't go up to heaven. Heaven comes down to earth. Wow. And in these final two chapters of Revelation, it talks about what life will be like on this redeemed, restored earth. I just want to invite you to dream a little bit. Just to sort of go, all right, enter into this. Try to get the feel of this. Revelation 21.4 says there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. Can you even imagine a world like that? We're, we're just so used to it, right? I don't know about you. I, I, I do the news every morning, and I'm getting up every morning, and I'm, I'm, I'm reading about, I'm watching about Ukraine, and it's just ripping my heart out. Can you imagine a world with no, with no malignant tumors, right? No pathology reports that you're waiting on. No car accidents. You see the guy from the, from the Steelers who got killed yesterday on the street, young athlete? None of that anymore. No overdoses. No teenage kids taking their own lives. Not going to happen anymore. No need for St. Jude Children's Hospital because there won't be any kids getting cancer anymore. All that stuff done. Can you even imagine that world? Whatever it is that causes you mourning or crying or pain, whether it's broken relationships or depression that you just can't figure out, disappointment or loneliness, being hurt by other people, all that stuff will be like, I don't even remember that stuff. In verse one, it says there was no longer any sea. What does that mean? Does that mean like no oceans in, in, the, in the future? I, I hope not, and I don't think it does actually literally mean that. Remember, there's a lot of symbolic talk in Revelation. God's original creation had oceans, right? And so the redeemed earth, you would think, would still have, have, have oceans. Here's what I believe this is getting at. All through the Bible, the sea represents chaos and danger. Remember back in Revelation 13, the beast rose out of the sea. Jonah was thrown overboard into the raging sea. The disciples of Jesus were almost drowned in, in the sea. A couple of summers ago, I almost drowned in the sea. Right? So the, the sea has always represented kind of uncontrollable, chaotic, um, dark forces. And what this is saying that in the new redeemed earth, there will be no chaos, there will be no danger. Imagine a world like that. Imagine a world where there are, there's, no, there's no danger of an egotistical ruler having to rise up and take more territory. That just, that just won't exist anymore. No drama of any kind. I can't, I mean, there's dra not only drama in Ukraine, there, I mean, there's drama in my own house. There's drama in your house? No more of that. There's drama in my own head sometimes, like a raging sea. That will not exist anymore. Peace will prevail. Nations will lay down their weapons, like Isaiah predicted. Remember, um, they will beat their swords into plowshares. They'll, they'll change their, their swords into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Allow yourself to picture a world like that. It'll be a place of deep fulfillment. Revelation 22.1, John sees the river of water of life flowing from the throne of God. Have you ever felt restless or, or just like empty? Like there's gotta be something more that'll be completely satisfied. 
your soul's deepest thirst quenched by God. So overall, God is showing us that the new heaven and earth will be like the Garden of Eden, restored to its original condition. And so anytime in this world we get a little glimpse of beauty, I believe that's God just saying, I'm just giving you a little taste of what it'll be like. One morning I was at the shore and I woke up early because I wanted to see the sunrise. And so I came up walking over the dune and when I came over the dune, out in front of me I saw, I had my iPhone, I just took this picture and it, it was awesome, you know, but I've, I've seen sunrises before, so it was like, man, this is really nice. But on this particular morning, I noticed something out of the corner of my eye, and I turned and looked toward the western horizon, and I saw this. There was, at the same time the sun was coming up, this was the first for me, at the same time the sun was rising, there was this rainbow. And the picture doesn't do it justice, because you could see both ends of the rainbow stretching across the western sky. And I just started looking back and forth, like at the rainbow and the sun coming up, and I'm thinking, God, you're just showing off now. This is ridiculous. And it was one of those moments when I was just taken aback. Something in my spirit just caught and just said, I can't believe how beautiful this place is. You ever have those moments? Wow. I have to show you one more. There's a, there's a hiking place actually really close to my home that has a nice view of the New York City skyline. You know, we live in such a great place where you can hike and close to the city and all that. And many times I've stood on the, t- on the top and thought, man, that, okay, that's east. I'm looking to New York. The sun rises in the east. Wouldn't it be awesome to stand here and watch the sun rise over Manhattan? But then you'd have to hike in the pitch dark, you know, to get up there in time. So last year, finally last December, I woke up really early, and um, I actually have it tagged on my pictures. It's, uh, it's December 20th, five days before Christmas. I put on my headlamp, and I hiked up that hill in the dark, which was really cool in itself. And I got to the top just as the sun was coming up. And so this is what I saw in front of me on top of that mountain. And if you look really close, you can see in the middle, there's Midtown with the Empire State Building. And then over to the right, you can see downtown and uh, you know, Freedom Tower and everything. And all of it against this, these shades of orange that I don't know that I've ever seen before. And it just took my breath away. And here's the point. Heaven's going to be way, way better. If you, if you can even believe that for a minute. St. Saint Augustine, the great theologian, was once looking at the sun setting over the Mediterranean Sea. And he said these words, if these are the beauties afforded to sinful men, what does God have in store for those who love him? That's a great question. See, ultimately, we don't go up to some cloudy, harp-playing place. Heaven comes down to us, and it's going to be awesome beyond our wildest imagination. As I get older, as I accept my own mortality a little bit more, I'm finding myself really looking forward to that. All right, let's keep building this picture. Heaven is a real physical place. Here's the second thing, where we will do real meaningful things. Where we'll do real meaningful things. You might have heard the name Michael Shermer. He edits, I think it's called Skeptic's Journal, famous atheist. And he wrote this once, if there's no disease, sickness, aging, or death in heaven, if there are no obstacles to overcome and nothing to work for, what is there to do? Forever is a long time to be blissfully bored, end of quote. And that's kind of the issue raised by The Good Place, right, that, that comedy series. Like, isn't this going to get old quick? Isaac Asimov, the, the science fiction writer, said it more bluntly. He said, whatever the tortures of hell, I think the boredom of heaven would be even worse. 
end of quote. So it, is that true? Will we be bored out of our minds? Um, and the answer is no, of course. But, but why? Well, because we're going to have a job to do. And some of you are thinking, oh, really? <laughs> You're going to have a job to do. We will actually have a role to play in this physical, redeemed heavens and earth. Look what, all the way back in Revelation 5.10, look what it says. This is the elders around the throne in heaven singing about what life will be like in, in the future. And he says to God, you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. So in this future heavenly kingdom, believers will act as priests, which means this essential definition of a priest is just someone who communes with God and sort of mediates the presence of God, represents God to, to others. So somehow we will serve as priests, we'll represent God to the rest of creation, and we will reign over the earth. So we'll exercise some kind of leadership, some kind of authority or, or dominion over the earth. 1 Corinthians 6.3, if you want to jot this interesting verse down, 1 Corinthians 6.3 says that as believers, we will one day judge the angels. Angels were created by God to serve him and to serve us. One day, we will somehow be sort of in charge of angels. Crazy thought. But ultimately, this just reminds me of God's original charge to Adam and Eve. Remember when he, he created them and put them in the garden, what did he tell them to do? Take care of this stuff. Have dominion. Take charge over the earth. Rule over every living thing on the earth. In other words, be a good steward of all this. Take care of it. Nurture it. It's under your charge. Adam and Eve didn't do a great job of that. I, after they named all the animals, it just went downhill fast. But in the new creation, we'll get another shot at it. And apparently this time, it's going to go really, really well. So even though the Bible doesn't give details, you can be certain that you will have a job. It will be the greatest job that you've ever had. You know why? Revelation 22.3 says, no longer will there be any curse. So remember when sin happened, the, cur the ground was cursed. And all of a sudden, work was a pain. Now it says the curse will be removed, which means all those parts of work that are dreary and monotonous and soul shriveling and dehumanizing, am I describing your job at all? All those parts of work will be taken away. So it's a huge job in reigning over the earth. It's challenging and big, but it'll be incredibly fulfilling. If any of you have a good job that you love that's stimulating and challenging and rewarding, it'll be like that, only better. And the Bible just allows us to dream about the details. Um, Anthony Hokema, the theologian, wrote this. Will there be better Beethovens on the new earth? Shall we see better Rembrandts, better Raphaels? Shall we read better poetry, better drama, better prose? Will scientists continue to advance in technological achievements? Will geologists continue to dig out the treasures of the earth? And will architects continue to build imposing and attractive structures? Will there be enticing new adventures in space travel? And the Bible doesn't answer any of those questions. But he's asking the right kinds of questions. Because the future that God has for us is life on this earth, but the way it was actually supposed to be when God dreamed it up. And I can promise you, it will be anything but boring. And I'm just telling you, the more I think about that, the more my soul starts to ache for heaven. But this last part of the description is by far the best part. 
So here's what we have. Heaven is a real physical place, right? Where we will do real meaningful things. And here's the last part, in the actual presence of God. In the actual presence of God. Revelation 21.3 says, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. Just let that sink in for a minute. What will that be like? There's this section of chapter 21 that I skipped over because it's just so long. But let me tell you what it says. Remember the new Jerusalem that came down out of heaven to earth? In 2115, it says an angel took a measuring stick and he measured the dimensions of the new Jerusalem. And he found it was a perfect cube, all the sides equal, which is really strange because Jerusalem, as we know, it's not a perfect cube. You know what it is? The Holy of Holies at the very center of the Jewish temple. It's the only thing we know from the Bible that's a perfect cube. That was the place, the Holy of Holies, where the presence of God actually showed up. And you remember how it went once a year only on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, the high priest alone could go in and he could encounter the presence of God. Awesome moment for that one guy once a year. So here's what this is saying. In the future, in this new creation, the whole earth will be the Holy of Holies. Everywhere you go, you'll be walking on holy ground. For me, there are these moments in life where I kind of know that I'm in the presence of God. You know, sometimes it's on the top of a mountain, as you can say, I like that. Sometimes it's when I'm with the gathered congregation singing worship, and I'm like, man, God is is here. I I had that sense, you know, when my four children were born, like this is, something's happening here that's bigger than just flesh and blood. You ever have those times when you say, man, God is near? It'll feel like that all the time in the new heavens and the new earth. The presence of God with us wherever we go, whatever we do. It's incredible. You know, you might feel like, I don't, man, I have those moments every once in a while in life. If it was all the time, I think my brain would explode. I don't know if my brain could handle it. I don't know if my my heart could handle that. Um, And you're right. And that's why it's so good to know that in this new heavens and new earth, you will have a new redeemed body as well. Our bodies will be resurrected, says the Bible. And by the way, I'm hoping it will be my 18-year-old body that I have in the future, just putting in that request early. But that means that you will have a new redeemed brain that you can take in way more than you can now. And you will have a redeemed heart that your heart can handle that without getting a heart attack when you encounter the presence of God. So you will all of a sudden have the capacity to experience and enjoy the presence of God in a million different ways as you worship him and serve him and explore the wonders of his creation in community with his people for all of eternity. That's where we're headed. You know, the fact that we'll be in the actual presence of God has so many more implications. It says in Revelation 21.4, God himself will wipe away every tear from our eyes. And what that means is that you won't have any regrets. Can you imagine never beating yourself up again for anything you've done in your past? Never waking up in the morning again and going, oh man, that's right, that's my life. Every tear wiped away. 
Revelation 22.5 says, they will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light. The presence of God will light up everything. Think of all those things that come along with the dark, right? Danger, despair, confusion. All that will be swept away as everything will be lit. Everything will be seen the way it is meant to be seen. You know, um, in Psalm 16, it says these words to God. Lord, in your presence is fullness of joy. We have never, none of us knows what that even feels like. Fullness of joy. We get little pieces of it, right, in life, but never fullness. In this future that God's promising us, the joy in our hearts will will be full and uninterrupted in ways that we can never even dream about. Heaven is a real physical place where we will do real meaningful things in the actual presence of God. Anybody looking forward to this? You know, when my kids were younger, um, I read them the, uh, the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. Um, if you're not familiar, it's a, it's a series of kind of fantasy books by C.S. Lewis, um, and it's an allegory of the Christian life, um, and especially of, of Jesus. And when you get to the last book, um, the last couple of paragraphs, the main characters realize that they've died and they find themselves in heaven. And I just want to read you a few lines from this last paragraph. It says, the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories. And we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now, at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. Guys, by God's grace, that's what we have to look forward to. If you have been feeling the pain of life, which most of us have, you need to know this life is not the end of the story. It's just not. In fact, it's just the first couple of pages. And when we see God face to face, that's when the real story really begins. Amen? So keep standing firm in your faith. This ends really, really well. So so where do we go from here? Now, now that we've experienced this journey together, what do we do as we kind of return from our study of Revelation? One of my favorite writers, Peter Kreeft, teaches philosophy up at Boston College, and he wrote this once. Suppose God took you on a crystal ball trip into your future, and you saw with indubitable certainty that despite everything, your sin, your smallness, your stupidity, you could have, free for the asking, your whole crazy heart's deepest desire, heaven, eternal joy. Would you not return fearless and singing? What can earth do to you if you're guaranteed heaven? To fear the worst earthly loss would be like a millionaire fearing the loss of a penny, less the scratch on a penny. I like that. If we truly believe the vision that we've just seen in Revelation, and I'm just going to speak personally, I have really grown through this series. Um, I, I would say I believe this now more strongly than I ever have before. If we truly believe that this is true, then, then nothing else makes sense except to, to, to walk away from it 
fearless and singing, right? What can the world do to us if God's in control, if God wins this in the end, if we have heaven guaranteed to us? And so today, let's, let's close out this series, Fearless and Singing. Would you rise as we get ready to close today? And before we worship together, um, I, I, I have to just give one more invitation because that's what, what Revelation does. It's just been on my heart heavily that every week we're saying, stand firm in your faith, stand firm in your faith. And, and, and it kind of hit me that for some of you, you actually don't have a faith to stand firm in. Because it's, it's not your faith. It's, it's just never become personal. And so there's this, there's this invitation at the end of Revelation. Maybe you caught it. Uh, chapter 2, verse 17 says, um, let the one who is thirsty come. And let, let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. That's the invitation. And, you know, some of you, as you've processed this, maybe you're thinking, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I'm just not, I'm not worthy of that. I hear that all the time. I don't, you know, I need to learn more. I need to, I need to kind of work my way up to this. I, I've done, you don't know what I've done. I've got to pay this off. And you need to hear this. Take the free gift of the water of life. It's not cheap. It was paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. But for you, for us, it's free. That's called grace, and it is life-changing. And so I just don't want you to leave here without knowing deep in your heart, yeah, I have received this free gift of the water of life. He's got me. I'm with him. This God is in control. I'm on his side. So I'm just going to pray as we close, and I want to offer you a, a way to, to turn your life over to Jesus Christ. Would you just join me in a posture of prayer? And God knows your heart. He knows what you're thinking. God knows your, your whisper. If you want to whisper these words, just say something like this. God, my soul is thirsty for you. Just express this to him in a prayer. God, my soul is thirsty for you. I've made a mess of my life in so many ways. But I see that Jesus Christ went to the cross for me. I don't fully understand it, and I know I don't deserve it, but I receive Jesus today. Lord, come and fill me. Show me what life should look like. And help me now to stand firm in my faith. And Father, on behalf of every one of us, I pray that as we reflect on the awe that we've seen in Revelation, that we would respond fearless and singing. Lord, receive our worship now, we pray in the name of Christ. Amen.